Bibles once again to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. We're exactly almost halfway through this wonderful book, this journey of redemption. And God, through the leadership of Moses, has led this nation of slaves out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. They saw their enemies destroyed, their oppressors destroyed at the Red Sea, and that they were delivered on dry land to the other side. And then they began to wander and journey through the wilderness toward the promised land. And God directed them to go to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, he drew Moses to him up into the mount and drew the people near. And God actually came down on the mount and that they were before the mount. And what is going to take place now at Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, besides the Passover event that, that we mentioned in regards uh, to the children of Israel as a nation, the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments is going to dominate pretty much all the rest of the Old Testament. So powerful is this moment that is before us. You know, it's uh, awesome to me, even if you think about this, that these ten words, they're called, these ten words of God, the ten commandments, they are written behind the, the judges' seats of the Supreme Court of our land where the Supreme Court justices sit and go over the, the uh, most important cases that we have before our land behind them are the ten words of God. These words that were spoken in, in this event, and they're still so relevant to us today. So just want to read this, and we're not really going to talk about each of the ten commandments today. We're going to save that for further messages, but we're going to talk about the, the purpose of God's law. That's the title of our message this morning, the purpose of God's law. And mainly want you to highlight, because I think that we see this very poignantly and very strongly in verse 20. Uh, you know, they say perfect vision is 2020, right? So here we're on the 20th chapter in the 20th verse. We can get some very clear biblical vision uh, into the heart of God, what God desires for us and, and who God is. So let's read and hear the word of God, Exodus chapter 20, especially highlighting in our minds verse 20. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 
for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have taught with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold, an altar of earth. Thou shalt make unto me, and thou shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by the steps unto mine altar that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. What was God's purpose here in giving the Ten Commandments and the law to this nation that he would call a holy nation and this people that he would call a kingdom of priests? I love a quote by C.H. Spurgeon. He said, to convince and condemn is all that the law can do. We cannot be saved eternally through the works of the law, beloved. We must be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in Him. The purpose of the law was not to give eternal life to man. Jesus said, Seek the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, but what? They are they which testify of me. The law, Spurgeon said, the law, all the law can do is convince and condemn. That's all that the law can do. But the law is so important. And there are many uh, 
false teachers out there today saying that we are no longer obligated to the Ten Commandments. I want you to know that that's heresy, that that's false. God's moral law was intact before he ever wrote it in tables of stone. Uh, it is. It has been written into the very fabric and conscience of soul of all of mankind. And not only believers are obligated to the moral law, but even unbelievers themselves are also obligated to the moral law of God and will be judged by it when they stand before God one day, when they die. But the law is so important, and the Ten Commandments are so important because... We need to be condemned by the law. And we need to be convinced by the law that we are what? That we are sinners. That's exactly right. And so a preacher said one time, and I love this, he said that the law, the Ten Commandments are like the needle that the Holy Spirit puts the thread of the gospel through and penetrates into the hearts and sows the truth into the children of God. Isn't that beautiful? That he uses that law, he, he uses the, the convincing and condemning of the law to prick our hearts and make way for the righteousness of Christ to be applied to our needy, sinful souls. And so we rejoice today in the purposes that God had in the law. So let's go through this together. What is the purpose of God's law. Let's go back to verse 20. And we, as the people were so afraid after hearing this, uh, Moses told them, Do, don't fear in an ungodly way. Now, he wants them to fear God in the right way, in the reverential way. But he says, don't, don't fear in a, in a way that your heart melts or that would make you want to go away from God. This is... The purpose of the law is to bring you nearer to God. And he says, for God is come, number one, this is our first point, to prove you, to prove you, to test you. Number one, the purpose of the law, the law will prove our love to God. The law will prove our love to God. Now, hallelujah, it does not prove God's love to us, amen, but it does prove our love to God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Did you not notice, even in our chapter here, looking in verse 6, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that what? That love me and keep my commandments. We should love the Ten Commandments. We should all know them. We should all try to keep them as much as within us is. We know that we cannot do that perfectly in our because our flesh is unredeemed. But hallelujah, we have one who has stood in our stead and he has kept the whole law to a jot and to a tittle and he has satisfied the righteousness of God for us and through faith he has given us that righteousness. Oh, I rejoice to tell you that today. But I want you to know that the Ten Commandments and the law of God are there for us ever before all of mankind, believer and unbeliever, to prove who loves God and who does not love God. 
Do you say that you love God today? Then do you lie? Do you steal? Do you put things before Him? Do you disdain His holy day? Do you have lustful, adulterous thoughts? Do you covet and want things that are not yours? You say, guilty. You have to, the law condemns us. It convinces us. And we have to say, lepers we are. Unclean we are. All we are. That all mouths may be stopped and that we may become guilty before God and realize that as after the Ten Commandments was given, I love this in chapter 20, that after the Ten Commandments was given and they saw that, the first thing that God turns them to is the altar. Hallelujah. In a place where sacrifice could be made for all of us who acknowledge and say, I'm a sinner before God. My only hope is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. But I do love God. And I don't want to lie. And I don't want to have lustful thoughts. And it grieves me when I do. And I'm trying by the grace of God to flee away from sin and evil. Like the Apostle Paul said, I want to be delivered from the wretched man that I am. By the grace of God, we are. And we can seek to live holy and righteously before the Lord. But beloved, the Ten Commandments will prove you. They will prove your love. To God. Let's just go to several scriptures that speak to this truth. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 7, first. The wisdom of the wise here. Of They say that Solomon was the wisest of all men except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely we need to treasure the things that God blessed him through the Spirit to teach to us. Proverbs 7, are you there? Beginning in verse 1. My son, keep my words. Do you remember what it said at the very beginning of Exodus chapter 20? That these are the words of God. Who is your father? Who is the father of all mankind? It is Jehovah, the true and living God, the creator God of heaven and earth. Amen. He is your father and he says... He says to us, as to sons, my son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. That's love. That's love. Look at John 14 in the Gospels. These are the words of the wisest, the greater than Solomon. Amen. David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity. He would speak to us in John 14. Jesus said that his delight was in the law of of God. The law of God was his delight. It should also be our delight. Jesus loved the Ten Commandments and he confirmed every one of the Ten Commandments. And even, uh, beloved, he, he even uh, uh, went beyond uh, with the law what Moses declared by the Spirit of God and showed us that it was even more important the spirit of the law 
even than the letter of the law, did he not? Amen? Amen. Yes. And he lived it all out before us in perfection. But listen to this in John 14, 15. Listen to the words of Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. So then how, I ask, can some who say that they love the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is their Savior, how can they uh, hold themselves back from being obedient to him? And following him in baptism and joining themselves to his church. Surely if we say that we love him, then we want to do those things that are pleasing. When you love someone, you want to do things that are pleasing to the one that you love. Well, God says that these are the things that are pleasing to me. That you don't have a murderous anger, heart full of anger. That you don't, you're not covetous. That you're not full of lust. That you honor your parents. That you see God as worthy as has been said today of all praise and worship and obedience. God said, these are the things that I love. If you love me, this is the way that you'll want to live. And prove that you love me. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments flip over to chapter 15 in john he continues on in this wonderful teaching just flip one page over john 15 10 if ye keep my commandments ye shall abide in my love even as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love jesus said a body Thou hast prepared for me. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And he did the Father's will. This is the purpose of the law is to prove the love of the people of God towards God. It is the supreme test of our love. Our love is measured by our conformity to his known wishes. Do you understand that? When you love someone, we've already said this, but I need to repeat it. When we love someone, we want uh, to do things that please the one that we love. Well, here God says, I'm going to reveal to you the things that are pleasing to me. I'm going to reveal to you my heart, the things that, that I love. And isn't it wonderful that the things that God loves and the things that prove our love to him uh, bring about the greatest blessings uh, in our life more than any other thing possibly could. That's what's so wonderful is that all of the commandments of God bring tremendous blessing into the life of those that love them and seek to obey them. I think that's so wonderful the way that God uh, brought that into our lives and into the lives of his people. And these ten, these ten commandments, these first four that teach us our duty to God in the last six that teaches our duty to man. These ten are the heart of the law. Now, these are not all of the law because there are three parts to the law. There is the moral law, there is the civil law, and there is the ceremonial law. Now, you and I, as children of grace, we are no longer under the ceremonial law. Christ fulfilled all of that for us. And we are not under the civil law because we don't live under the theocracy uh, that, the, that the people did, that that civil law 
was given unto them. Now, there are principles in the civil law that we can look at and use to govern our lives uh, in our nations, but we're not under that in the way that they were. And then we're not under the moral law in the sense that we have to keep the moral law for salvation because Christ has done that for us, but we are under the moral law in regards to keeping the commandments of God and showing our love to God. We are under evangelical obedience. We are under evangelical obedience to the moral law of God. And it is the heart of the law. And it was the charter. It would be the very charter of this new nation that God was going to bring about in the world. What the law reveals about God's will is, is timeless. And it is still authoritative today for all of our faith and conduct. So, beloved, let us seek to pray, Lord, help me. Like it said in Psalm 1, in his law I delight day and night. Be a person that doesn't kick against the pricks, that doesn't say, oh, that's just too hard or that's too strict. Don't be like, uh, who was it, Ted Turner, that called the Ten Commandments. I remember Brother Mike Strebel, he always had a bone to pick with Ted Turner because Ted Turner said the Ten Commandments should just be the Ten Suggestions. No. But be in, be in prayer every day. Lord, help me to love your law. Help me to prove my love to you through keeping your commandments. And your commandments are not grievous to me, but I love them. I I want to obey them. Help me by your grace or strengthen me to be a person that would prove his or her love to you by loving and keeping your law. Well, he says, I've given you this law. God has given this law to prove you. That's exactly what he says. Fear not, for God has come to prove you, to test you. But secondly, he says, and that his fear may be before your faces. His law, this is the second purpose of the law. His law will teach us to fear the Lord in the right way. This is the right way to fear the Lord. Not to run away and hide and be scared of the Lord. And be scared of God because that we're sinners. Guess what? I got news for you. God knows that you're a sinner. <laughs> And he knew you were a sinner before that you were born. He knows you're a sinner right now. He knows that you're going to sin in some way, probably the rest of your life. But come to the mirror of the law of God. The, God. the law of God is a great mirror. That's what it is. And when you look in that mirror, you see the holiness of God. You see the upright moral that there's no darkness in him. God is all pure light. These these ten words, you know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Well, so it is true with God that these ten words, these ten commandments come out of his heart because this is who God is. He is not a man that he should lie. God and Jesus Christ never had a lustful thought. He honored his mother and father. He never took the Lord's name in vain. He never coveted anything that was his. He never murdered. He never stole. He never lied. He never uh, didn't keep the Sabbath day. 
Because this is what was in his heart. And he had the proper fear of the Lord. It is that we come to that mirror and that mirror shows us who God is in his holiness. And it also shows me how much that I need this God. How much I need this righteousness. How much I need this holiness. How much I need these commandments. How much I need the authority of God in my life. You see, that's what's wrong with the unbeliever. Is he doesn't want to be under the authority of God. He wants to throw off God's shackles. The same as uh, Lucifer that starved the morning. He wanted to usurp God's throne. He didn't want to be under God's authority. And so it is with man today. And that is why they hate the law of God and spurn the law of God. But God's authority must be maintained. Amen? Without, without God's authority, without these words, if these were just Moses' words, they wouldn't mean anything. Amen? But these are the words of God. And God will judge all mankind. Every man, woman, and child that's ever been born of Adam and Eve will stand before God and give an account before God for their life. And God's authority must be maintained. Why should I not kill? Why should I not steal? Why should I honor my father and mother? Well, maybe we could reason rationally. Well, these things will ultimately be good for you, and that's true. But ultimately, the bottom line is, is because God has said so. And he's God. And he's the judge of all the earth. Psalm 89. The psalmist would speak to this. We, we just covered this. This ought to be real uh, familiar to us. Psalm 89 verses 30 through 33. Listen to this. If God will teach us to fear the Lord. That's the pur- second purpose of the law. If his children... Forsake my what? My law. And walk not in my judgments. If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But listen to this. Isn't this beautiful? Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. Does that give you comfort and hope today? As you stand before this law of God. As you think about your own life. And you realize how many times God has tested you by the law. And how many times that you have failed. And how many times that I have. How many times that I've had to experience this very thing. That he's had to chastise me. And teach me to love his law. And that his ways are best and right and true always. I remember I was talking to a young man one time that was walking in a wrong way and I laid before him the right way and he said to me Mr. Pitney he said I know that those things are right he said I just don't believe that they're right for me and that's what was wrong in his heart and with his life but if we will come to this law and bow ourselves before humbly before this law and before for a law-giving God, before a good God and a law that is good. And if we'll just confess, Lord, 
I fear you. I fear you because you are the only wise God. I fear you because you are a God that's too wise to err. You are too good to be unkind. And if you have given me a commandment, it can only be for your glory and for my good. And help me, sinner though I be, to submit myself to your holy will. God will grant grace to the humble and he'll lift you up and he'll give you strength to walk in his truth, to walk in his ways. And when you fail, he'll bless you to repent and you can come and you can find mercy and that, to know that there's been a sacrifice made and that all your transgressions, all your failings, God has removed them as far as the east is from the west. He has nailed them all to his cross. He has cast them all to a sea of forgiveness. Oh, should that not make us love him more? To want to serve him more? More holiness give me, Lord, for you are holy. And you have called me to be holy. To walk in your fear. And the New Testament only raises the standard and magnifies the spirit of the law. Every human being will be held responsible to these words of God. It's not just for the believers, it's not just for the Christians, but it's for all of mankind. Say, Brother Nathan, how did the New Testament even raise the standard and magnify the spirit of the law? I'll tell you in two ways. Remember when Jesus was teaching and he taught was teaching about the commandment, thou shalt not murder. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said probably many of you will never be guilty of actually killing someone. But here's where Jesus went into the spirit of the law and he magnified the standard of the law. He said, but I tell you right now, if you've ever hated your brother in your heart, he said, you're a murderer. You're a murderer. You're guilty of that commandment before God because God sees the heart. He, sees, he said, all, all that you lacked was uh, opportunity. Um, Again, about adultery, you remember, when he was teaching about adultery. This, this gets us all, doesn't it? He said, you know, you've heard that it was said, Moses said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, probably many of us in this room, we've never actually physically cheated on our spouse or maybe not physically committed fornication because adultery has to do, and we'll get into that when we teach through the Ten Commandments, it's just all sexual uncleanness. Adultery, though, the word adultery and and the umbrella of adultery, it, it goes over all sexual uncleanness. And that's what Jesus began to say. He said, Moses said, don't commit adultery. He said, but I, I tell you, if you've looked on a man or woman and lusted after them in your heart, you've committed adultery. See how it's not that uh, Jesus did fulfill the law in a certain way for righteousness sake for us to have a, a justified standing before God. But he still uh, taught them and walked in them, and they're still applicable over our lives today, this moral law. Every human being will be held responsible. That's powerful, isn't it? Man, man doesn't think that, does he? He thinks, well, if I stay out of church, if I stay away from God, then I won't be responsible you know, for the things that Christians uh, are commanded to do. Oh, how wrong that that is. Let's go to the book of Romans and look at what the Apostle Paul had to say about that. Because this is very important to understand. 
uh, for our understanding. And, and Jesus also, he showed us how it should be. Because if there's lo- no law, well, first of all, if there's no God, then there's really no law. Amen? So that's why the atheist wants to say there's no God. So then he can just be a law unto himself because without, if there's no God, there would be no law. If there would be no law, then there would be no fear in men's heart. If there were no fear in men's heart, man would completely destroy himself. He would completely destroy ourselves. We are a nation of laws. That's the only thing that uh, separates uh, those that... that uh, want to be good from those that desire to be evil is law and justice and all of the law that we have goes back and is based upon this law of God and based upon God himself so you see these things why that they're so important and the law of God the ten commandments are actually written on the conscience of every single human being that's ever been born into the world and that proves itself throughout all the cultures of all the world. All the cultures of all the world have, have known that it was right to worship a deity. All of them have known it was right to respect your parents. All of them have known that it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to murder. How do they know this? It's written on their heart. Look at this. Verse 11 of Romans 2. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves which show the word of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Maybe some of that that Paul's doing. Y'all remember, Paul was a lawyer himself. But what he's saying here is, every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty before God. No one will be able to cry ignorance before God when they stand before the judgment seat because God will say, when you told that lie, you knew it was wrong in your heart. And God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart and they'll know they'll be naked and open before him as will we if no law then no fear and mankind would destroy himself also turn to Paul's teaching in the letter of the Galatians because there there was a tendency among those that were Jewish in the first century to try to go back and be under the civil and ceremonial law. And Paul would write the whole book of Galatians to warn them to not do that, to be free in Christ. And we read some powerful verses about some of that teaching here in Galatians chapter 4. That's kind of hard for us to understand because 
we we didn't live in that time and we've never lived under a theocracy we've never lived under the ceremonial and civil law like these people did all of their lives and it was very hard for them to learn and know how to break free from all of that in Christ hallelujah that's one battle that we don't have to face in regards to that except that we all seem to have a tendency toward Phariseeism to try to want to get God to love us based on how that we do or don't do. Remember what I said that the Ten Commandments are not a test of God's love to us. God loves us with an everlasting love. God loves us as he sees us through the sacrificial intercession and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God sees us through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Hallelujah. But he tests our love. He tests our love for him. But God's not going to love you based on how that you keep or don't keep the Ten Commandments. Hallelujah. Because we would be of all men most miserable. But don't you want to prove your love to him? Don't you want to love him more? Don't you want to love him as he has loved you? And reciprocate that love? Indeed we should if we're his children. If we're his followers. If we love him. We want to keep his commandments. So here in Galatians chapter 4. Powerful teaching here. We don't have time to unpack it all, but chapter 4 and verse 3. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. Now this is powerful because we think about ourselves that we are under the law. And we deserve to be under the law. We should be. We need to be under law we need to be under God amen but what about Christ what about him who knew no sin what about he who was very God he who was with God and was God surely when he would come into the world he would set himself above the law but he did not as the God man listen to what it says God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem. This is why He made Himself under the law because none of us could ever keep it. The best of men, the best of women, they have all failed. And do you know that the Scripture also teaches if you're guilty in the law in one point, you're guilty of the law in every point. Not getting away from it. It is going to convince and condemn every time. That's God's purpose in it. It's going to prove your love to God every time. It's going to teach you the fear of the Lord. And so he were a son. The scripture says, yet learned he obedience through the things that he suffered. And he was made of a woman. Though he was God manifest in the flesh. Yet Christ submitted himself and put himself under the law but for this purpose, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, 
which is the Hebrew affectionate term for a father, which is daddy. I love you, daddy. I want to keep your commandments because I'm your child and you love me. And so Jesus did, didn't he? He didn't let one part of the law become unfulfilled. Not the civil, not the ceremonial, not the moral law. He kept it all, the scripture says, to a jot and to a tittle. So that he might, in the great work of justification, give us that righteousness. For without that taking place, none of us would be saved. Do you know that? We couldn't have believed our way there. No. We couldn't have believed our way. Some people think, well, I can believe my way to heaven. No, you can't. You have to have a righteousness. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. A transaction had to take place. Someone had to be a representative for the elect family of God who could keep the words of God, that is the man God, Jesus Christ. He made himself under the law. He taught us the fear of the Lord. And so should we fear the Lord. And so should we honor and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And how could we not do anything that he asked of us when he has done everything that we need? You see, Beloved, we need the law because there's no healing unless a wound has taken place. There's no making alive until a person realizes that they are dead. So we need the law to teach us the fear of the Lord. Thirdly, thirdly, His law encourages us to hate sin and to love holiness. Oh, how we ought to hate sin. When you hear that someone that you love has gotten cancer and is going to suffer, it ought to make you hate sin. When you hear and, it, and you read about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was whipped, how that he was crucified, how a crown of thorns was jammed upon his head, you ought to hate sin. When you see what it does to your fellow man, in our culture and lives that are just rampantly being ravaged and destroyed by sin, you ought to hate it. And you ought to love holiness. In Exodus 20, 20, that, that perfect 2020 vision, Moses said, God has given us this. This is a special gift of the grace of God to prove us that his fear may be before your faces. And then what does that last phrase say? That ye sin not. It's an encouragement not to sin. He tells them here how to live in order to be blessed by him, to be used by him as kingdom priests. And I love what the apostle John would say in 1 John 2, 1, do you remember? He said, my little children, these things have I written unto you, that ye what? 
that ye sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's why I love here in the book of Exodus, as soon as the law has been given, the Holy Spirit directs us directly toward the altar, toward the sacrifices that we're going to be have, have to be made because of the weakness of our flesh, pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that would come and remove our sin stain, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us here, he says, he's giving you this, that you sin not, that you might, because when you walk in obedience to the Lord, there's multitude of blessing in that. And when you walk in disobedience to the Lord, there's the curse. So it's a grace of God. Just like he gave the, the law even to our first parents who didn't even have the sin nature he he gave them that law to for his to establish his authority for their good but we know how that ended up do we not go with me to romans chapter 7 do you hate sin today do you hate it when you see it more in yourself or more in others oh we we're kind of hypocritical sometimes aren't we because we, we see sin in the world or we see sin in others and, oh, that's so terrible, that, that's so wicked. But then, you know, it's like we can give ourselves a pass when it comes to sin. But shouldn't we, shouldn't we loathe it even more so when we see it in our, in our own members? Here in Romans chapter 7, Paul is dealing with all these things that we're talking about. He says in verse 22, For I delight... In the law of God after the inward man. Uh, that's what Paul's Paul, in the saved part of me, in the born again, regenerated, new creature that I am in Christ. He says, I delight in the law of God. It's good. It has so much blessings in it for my life. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's what we need. And he reaches out and he says, I thank you, God, that it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. We must never make our obedience or disobedience the basis of the assurance of salvation. But we should hate sin still. And we should love holiness. We should hate sin because of what it does to us. And because of what it did to Christ. Look in this great mirror. See the holiness of God and love it. See the sinfulness of man and hate it. Psalm 97 Let's just go there. There's another great verse here that we should ask to be etched into our souls. Psalm 97 and verse 10. Ye 
that love the Lord hate evil. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the soul of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. So, three great purposes in the law in verse 20. Do you have them? It's pretty simple, isn't it? Some people try to make it complicated. God said, I've gave you these words, these commandments, to prove your love to me. I've given you these commandments to teach you how to fear me and respect me as God, as Father, as the one that has redeemed you out of the land of Egypt to maintain my authority in your life and in the world. And I've given you to them to teach you the difference between right and wrong, to cause you to want and to desire to love what is good and to hate that which is wrong, that your my life might be blessed and that I might use you for holy purposes as my kingdom priest, as my holy people. But lastly and finally, as we close in the part that I've been dying to get to, and I think all of you, you know this so much because we haven't hit on the greatest purpose of the law yet because lastly and fourthly the law is a map to the altar Paul would describe it as the schoolmaster that would lead us to who? to Christ, hallelujah isn't that wonderful, that's the most wonderful thing about the law and about the ten commandments is because as you stand before it as you try to keep it, as you see the holiness of God you realize there's no way that I could ever measure up to who God is. There's no way that I could ever keep these things perfectly. So it turns you to find some hope, to find a surety, to find a mediator, to find a Savior. And there's only one. The Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it beautiful there in Exodus 20? Did you see that? How that right after the law, we go right to the altar. It's a map. It's a map that leads us to the altar. On the altar is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. On the altar of God and of the cross, we see our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. Dying a substitutionary, atoning death for you and me to make us right with God. Galatians again, chapter 3. We've got to go here, beloved. We've got to see this. How beautiful that this is as we, as we close. And I can't wait to, to get into the teaching of the particulars of the Ten Commandments and how full of wisdom and goodness and justice that they are. But here in Galatians chapter 3, oh, you need to read this and you need to know this and understand this as a child of God. Beginning in verse 23, but before faith came. Now I want you to know that that faith is something that doesn't come naturally from a human being. Faith is a supernatural gift that is given to only those who are the elect family of God. 
Faith is the gift of God. All men, the scripture says, all men have not faith. But those that have faith, it reveals that they are God's children. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. And here it is, verse 24, listen. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, our teacher, our tutor, to bring us unto who? To bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, but ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Christ freed us from the ceremonial and the civil law of God, and he kept the moral law of God for us, and he commands us all so to try to keep it the best that we can. For we are under the law to Christ, are we not? We must use this liberty to be the servants of the cross. God has completely forgiven all of our transgressions because of the unpolluted altar of the cross of Calvary and the unpolluted sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now I know that you have been hoping for an Easter Sunday message. Well, here it comes. <laughs> here comes the power of the resurrection because the law, beloved, it led us to the grave. The law taught us that we're guilty and that he that sinneth, the soul that sinneth, it shall what? It shall die. And that's all that the law can do in and of itself is convince and condemn. But it's the schoolmaster that showed us that we were headed to the grave and that we belong there but grace through Christ has opened the grave. Hallelujah. For John said in John 1 and 17 as we close. Surely the law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you and use you is our prayer, oh, that we might love his law.